Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Today, we are continuing our series called Live Differently. It's not just something that we say around here. It's something that we want to try to practice. And we believe as Christians, um, we are supposed to live differently in the world. That Jesus lived differently, we're going to live differently. And so we've been looking at ways that we do that. And so to get you thinking about today's way is I want you to just do um, a little scenario in your mind with me. Let's imagine that this coming week, You're at your local coffee shop, and you're sitting there, and you're just having a great time with one of your friends, catching up, and you overhear a conversation that's taking place next to you, and you don't know exactly what they're talking about, but you hear this statement made. My goal in life is to have more power. I just want more and more power for myself. What's your immediate thought? Like, what's your reaction? What do you think in that moment? You might be a little bit like, Okay, uh, this isn't, I want to hear more. You know, you might stop your conversation, listen a little bit. You might think there's a psychopath amongst us. You know, should I be scared? You, You would definitely be intrigued to hear somebody say that. And what's interesting about the subject of power, which what we're going to be talking about today is, it seems to be a conversation that we're having as a nation all the time. You hear buzzwords like power dynamics and imbalance of power and struggles for power. But it's not something that seems to come down to our everyday lives. Like when was the last time you sat around the dinner table and just contemplated how much power you have in your life? You would just go, now honey, if you were to gauge the, the amount of power that I have, what do you think that would be? It would be a very strange conversation. In fact, we're more likely to talk about money and sex than we are power. The last few weeks, Doyle's been talking about the first two because a lot of people believe that human motivators are really, there's three primary ones. And there's money, there's sex, and there's power. The reasons why we do what we do is because we're pursuing those three things. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that third one, power. But power is one of those, one of those concepts that we can see it, we know when we're experiencing it, but it's hard to really define it. And so that's what I want to do first, is kind of get us a foundation for what we're even talking about when we talk about power. And so what is power? I did some research and I came up with this very rough definition. Power is the ability to make yourself or others do what you want. So if you're trying to make yourself do something, let's say go on a diet or exercise, we use this thing called willpower. But if you're trying to have someone else do something that you want them to do, you're exercising power over them. And so power is really about either making yourself or someone else do what you want done. There's lots of different types of power and lots of different ways that we can uh, accumulate power. So I just listed a few real, real quick. Is a, first one you think of physical. And that's like back in the old, you know, when you're on the playground, that's sometimes who's in charge. The kid that's the biggest. And this expresses its way in different ways in the world. We can think of military power. P- police have power. The law is the threat of using physical power. There's even power that we have in our, our beauty, is people who are beautiful are able to exercise some power. Now, if you're my age and maybe you grew up in the church, and no one at nine o'clock knew this. Let's see if you know this. The first thing that popped in my mind was the power team. Do you know who the power team is? They're ripping phone books in the name of Jesus. Do you not, did you guys not see this? Okay, all right, well, that's, I guess, the world I grew up in. Anyway, uh, but just there's something about physical power. Okay, uh, how about this? There's relational power. 
is you have power in your relationships, no matter what the relationship is. You could be a, a mother, you could be a daughter, a father, a son, a spouse. There's, there's power in those relationships. Financial. Money makes the world go round. And so if you have money, you maybe have more power or institutional power. You are at the top of the org chart in the school, the business, the church. You, you have power within the institution. Uh, political power. You're elected to office, this position in government, or you have influence over a, a party. Intellectual power. You have an idea or you inspire people to move. And then finally, sp uh, spiritual power, which is from God. Now, why? Um, well, let me ask this first. Who has power? Well, the simple answer is this. Everyone. <laughs> Everybody has power. Now, when we think of power, that's probably not what comes to your mind. We have more of a, to be honest, it's more of a Marxist view on power. We think of there are two classes of people. There's the powerful and the powerless. And so the powerful are the people who are really wealthy, who are celebrities, who are athletes, who are politicians. That's the powerful. And then the rest of us, we're in the powerless group-ish. But that's not actually true is everybody has power. Some people have more power than other people, but everybody has it. In fact, these little kids up here, they have power. You know how I know they have power? Because their parents will chase them all around at pumpkin patch. You're going to see parents running after the show. That's power. My son and I were in a discussion the other day, and uh, I was asking him how school was and what he did at the beginning of the year, and I was telling him, you know, we're, we're talking about primarily recess because that's really what he cares about. And so... He said, well, yeah, today was, um, today was a, the, the draft, and I signed a bunch of people to my team. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a third grade boys draft at recess, and um, because I'm team captain, um, I signed some people to contracts for the rest of the year. Like, what? What are you even talking about right now? He goes, well, yeah, that's how this works, is whenever we play, play basketball, we play football, we, you got to have teams. And so I'm a team captain, my buddy's a team captain, and then we, we draft people onto the night. Okay, tell me more about this. How did you come up with this whole idea? And, and how did you become team captain, by the way? And he said, well, he, the deal is, is my friend brings the ball. And so he gets to be team captain. And so then he chooses who the other team captain is going to be, and that's me. And so if you have the ball, you have the power. Power dynamics. All right, you're starting to figure out this whole recess thing. Okay. Is everybody has a degree of power. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, you have power. Uh, if you were to ask why, and this is a question that philosophers have been asking for quite some time, why it is that we all desire power, you'll get different answers. So one of the most famous philosophers in the last couple hundred years is Nietzsche. And Nietzsche is known for this slogan, the will to power. He believed that all of human interaction and all of our pursuits really boil down to this desire to have more power. Because when we have more power, we can express ourselves without people getting in our way. With power comes more freedom of expression. There's an article in The Atlantic, and it surveyed people who are in positions of power and what motivated them to get there. And it boiled down to two primary things. They wanted autonomy, and they wanted to have influence over other people. And it actually, the main one was autonomy. But both of them boiled down to pretty much the same thing, control. We desire power, just like we desire money, is because we want to have power and control over our lives. 
We want to be able to say what we do, when we do it, and whom we do it with, and we don't want anybody to get in our way. And by the way, this is not new to our society. This is what the scripture has been saying since the very beginning. You go back to the story of Adam and Eve, and you think it's a story about eating the wrong fruit. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what this is about. It's really about who's in charge, who's in control. Is it God in control or I'm in control? And what Adam and Eve and the rest of us have chosen is, no, I want to be in control of my life. And so you may have the power now, but I'm going to take the power and use it for myself. This, of course, wasn't God's original intention when it came to power. Is God made us incredibly powerful. You look at the rest of creation, and there is only one creation that is made in his image. That's us. That we're the only ones that can really have a relationship with him. There is something unique about us, and with all that uniqueness comes power. Not only that, but then he invites us to be co-creators with me. He says, I want you to go into the world and create with me something that will have an impact and have more human flourishing. And so he, he makes us with the ability to have power, and then he entrusts us with even more power. The problem is, of course, we decided that we wanted to go our own way and use our power for our own ends. And so today we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And we're going to be looking at a character who had an immense amount of power. In fact, he was the most powerful person in the world. And we see what it looks like to use and misuse Power. And if you don't know anything about this, it's in the book of Daniel, and it was written about the 6th century BC. And what was taking place in the world was Israel was being disciplined by God. They're disobeying him, and so he said, okay, I'm going to send somebody to discipline you, and that is the uh, empire of Babylon. Babylon comes, and not only do they take over Israel, but they march about 10,000 of their, their elites in their culture. So all the intellectuals and the artists and the military leaders and those who have wealth. And he takes them to Babylon and integrates them into his culture. In Babylon, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he begins to use them in in, um, continuing to maintain and grow his empire. And one of the people that went to Babylon from Israel was Daniel, and he was trained in Babylonian wisdom, and he was under the rulership of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you think at this time, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the character we're going to be looking at, you would think he's got everything. I mean, at this time, he is the ruler of the most powerful empire in the world, and he is a dictator. He has all the power. Everything is at his fingertips, and yet not all is well in his life, which we see immediately at the beginning of the story. Daniel 2 says this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Now, if you ever think of a person who has an immense amount of power, so take, you know, maybe your favorite business person, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or your political figures or whoever, and you think about their life, you might consider them the ideal. At least that's what we're told. See, we're told that this is how you get get a more happier life and more fulfillment, is if you get more power and more wealth and you have everything at your fingertips, then you're going to be happy. But then we see this and he doesn't seem happy at all. In fact, he seems very dissatisfied with life. The scripture talks about this over and over again. This idea that even if you continue to accumulate more, more wealth and more power and more success, there's something that just won't be satisfied in the human heart. I got in trouble for sharing this last two services, so I might as well share this one. Is My wife in the last few weeks has been um, very cranky. Yeah, this is how it's going to go. I'm sure this is going to help. Um, and it wasn't due to me. I can understand. Like, if you lived with me, you might, that might make you cranky. But uh, she's been cranky because she's been trying to, um, trying to eat foods without gluten. I didn't even know what gluten was. Found out 
It's in a lot of foods, especially the ones that she likes. And so she's not allowed to have any of those foods. And about a week or two into it, I just said, babe, what is going on? You seem very upset these days. Just a great way to start a conversation. You seem, you seem angry. She says, I am angry. I am upset. I don't get to eat anything that I like. I eat these meals. And at the end of it, I walk away just going, that wasn't satisfying at all. And it's just bumming me out. I think that's what the human heart looks like is we walk through life and we try to find these things that we think are going to satisfy. It's okay. It's going to be this relationship. It's going to be this job. It's going to be acquiring this thing. And then we have it and we go, that didn't satisfy at all. Blaise Pascal says that the human heart is an infinite abyss. It doesn't matter how much you put in there. It doesn't matter what you put in there. It's never going to be satisfied because the only thing that will satisfy the infinite abyss is an infinite love. And there's only one place you're going to find that. That's in your relationship with God. So the king calls all of his wise men in to interpret his dream. And as they, uh, as they come in and they start asking questions, one of the questions is, okay, well, king, what is your dream? And he's a pretty smart guy. He says, I'm not going to tell you my dream because then you're just going to make up an explanation. You tell me what my dream was and then I'll believe what your interpretation of it is. And they look at him and they go, how are we supposed to know what's happening in your mind? Only the gods would be able to explain something like that. Well, this is kind of their job. And so the king isn't pleased with the, uh, the excuses that they're making. And so he says, oh, you can't tell me? Well, then I have no use for you. And so he orders all of them be put to death. Nice guy. This includes Daniel and all of his friends. Well, word gets to Daniel and he, of course, is thinking, wait a minute, I didn't even do anything wrong and I'm about to be killed. At least I should give this thing a go and see if I can interpret the dream. And, and, and so he goes home and he tells his friends what's about to take place and they begin to pray. And as they pray, here's what happens. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So God shows up and he goes, okay, Daniel, here is what the dream is about. And you got to imagine, this is an incredibly powerful gift that God has given Daniel. I mean, he literally has like the keys to the kingdom. He knows the future and what's going to happen to the king. And so he could pretty much write up, here's what I want. And if you want my interpretation, this is what you're going to have to do for me. But we'll see that that's not exactly what he does. One of the things that is interesting about power, as we look at King Nebuchadnezzar, is what power does to people. One of the things that it seems to be doing to him is it's not bringing him more freedom, but fear. He has everything. He's in control, and yet he doesn't seem to be at peace. There's an incredible amount of fear and anxiety and I don't know exactly what that's from. I don't know if it's people who have fear and anxiety pursue power trying to ease it. Or once you get power, you're afraid of losing it. But here's what I do know. That the thing that scares him the most is that he is going to lose control. His whole life is about control. Controlling people, controlling nations, controlling his surroundings. And right now he can't even control his own mind. And so it's got to be terrifying He's losing control, and control, of course, is an illusion, is there is no control. You're nobody. I'm a nobody. You can't control anything. And yet, he thinks that if he just gets a little bit more power, he can control the world. Here's what it says, um, 25. Oh, excuse me, hold on, hold on to that. Uh, the dream, and I'll just give you a summary. The dream is explained by Daniel. So Daniel comes in and he tells him, hey, here's what you're dreaming and here's what it means. And I'll just give you the overview. The basic idea is, is that uh, you are in power right now, but you won't always be in power. 
because you are just one of a, a series of empires in which you are going to come and you're going to be defeated. And then there's going to be someone who comes behind them and they're going to be defeated. And there's going to be another empire that comes behind them and then they're going to be defeated, which by the way happened. Eventually they were defeated by the Persians and then the Greeks and then finally the Roman Empire. And then Daniel says, and eventually there's going to be a kingdom that is established and it's an everlasting kingdom. It's one that will come and it'll crush and destroy all other kingdoms because it's going to be the one that God establishes on earth. It's going to be the kingdom of God. And he is going to have a king upon this throne that will rule forever. Which is what Jesus said when he came and he began to teach. He says, with his arrival is the kingdom of God. But the dream was really a call to humility. The idea is, is you feel so powerful right now. You're at the top of the world, but guess what? You'll come and go. Just like the next empire and the next empire and the next empire. Your power is temporary. It's a stewardship. And eventually you're going to be accountable to God for it. And so he ends with this, verse 45. He says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. So notice that Daniel is very quick to give credit to God. He could have interpreted and said, now I want a house. I want a Ferrari. I want, not, you know, an unlimited, you know, what is it? The gold, the black card, Amex, whatever. Who's got one? Anybody? No? Okay. Um, here's my list of wants. No, he doesn't say that. He's very quick to point to God. He said, the dream is true. And his interpretation is trustworthy. Not because of me. No, 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 not, don't trust me. It's because of God. He understands a very important principle is that all power, it comes from God and it is for God. You're just a temporary steward of it. And so he doesn't want to take credit. He doesn't want to use it for himself. He goes, look, I got it from God and it's for me to point you towards God. And so I'm just a messenger. The king's response in the next verse says this. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Now, here's what, um, here's what happens. This is a very weird thing that takes place. Is when God allows us to be stewards of his power, and then we point people back to him and we lift people up with it instead of focus on ourselves, he in return gives us even more power. And it's a process we're going to see over and over again. We see it with Daniel already, but then we begin to see it with Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 48, here's how this, uh, this section ends. Then the king placed Daniel in high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. And so he increases his power because he was faithful with it. Daniel gets it. And in a moment, we'll see if Nebuchadnezzar gets it or not. So we fast forward a little bit. And pride is one of those things that's really hard to shake, especially when you have this much power. And so he gets a little wake-up call, but he's pretty soon back to his old ways. In fact, he builds this giant statue and he makes everybody worship it. It's an idol. And so he's clearly turned his back on God and he gets himself in some trouble and throws some guys in a fiery furnace. But kind of the, the bottom line is he continues to be a tyrant and oppressive to the people and worshiping other gods. And so Daniel comes along. Excuse me, he has, a, he has another dream during this time. And this time it's not just a bad dream, it's a terrifying dream. And so he calls Daniel again and he says, okay, here's my dream. Can you tell me what it means? And this time it's really bad news. He says, your dream this time is that God is going to cut you down. That you have been a, a poor steward of your power. And so if you have any hope of redemption, you must renounce your ways and turn to God. And then he gets to the bottom line of why God is doing all this in verse 17. 
4.17 says this. So that the living, so this is, this is kind of the point. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowest of people. What he's saying here is he's saying, look, you need to humble yourself because you have forgotten where your power came from. You think that you're something special, that this power is beginning to go to your head, that you're a gift to humanity. But what you need to remember is that this was given to you by God and you're no different than everybody else. You're the same as even the lowliest of people. And so don't get high on your own supply. I think that's what that means, right? Is that not? Supply of power is what I was saying. Where were you thinking? I don't know. A bunch of sinners in this church. Okay. Um, here's this, there's this experiment that I read about. It's called the cookie monster experiment. And it shows how power goes to our head and makes us feel entitled. And so the experiment, and it's been repeated a bunch of times, but originally it was a bunch of grad students and the professor told them to get into groups of four and they were supposed to make all these policy recommendations. And it was an extremely boring exercise. But what they didn't know was that's not what the experiment was. About 30 minutes into it, the professor brought in five cookies and put them in the middle of the table and then observed. And he appointed somebody at the table to be the leader, to be in charge. And everybody got a cookie and they ate their cookie and then there was one left at the end. Can you guess who felt entitled to that cookie? The person that was put in charge. Well, clearly I'm in charge and so I need to fuel my intellect and so that cookie will do. And so they take it. And not only did they feel entitled to that last cookie, but it also said that they were the most messy. They ate with a mouth open, lip smacking and crumbs on their shirt. There's been lots of studies like this. There's another study that shows that people who identify as upper class are more likely to endorse unethical behavior, lie during negotiations, cheat to win, and lie and steal. Guess what vehicles are most likely to cut off pedestrians and other vehicles? BMW and Mercedes. So I thought we would test this experiment. So what we did last week is we put a bunch of cameras at our exits. And we wanted to see if there was anybody who cut in line. So go ahead and roll that footage real quick. I'm kidding. I didn't do it. You got nervous, though, for a second. Some of you guys are like, oh, no. I didn't see him, I swear. Uh, all right. <laughs> there is something about power that brings not only pride, but entitlement. And so if you fast forward another year, the king is standing on the roof of his palace. And he's overlooking his vast kingdom, reflecting on everything that he has. And he still hasn't learned. Here's what he says to himself. Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? In the late 90s and early 2000s, maybe you remember this brand. There was a kind of a, it was a hip hop kind of brand. It's called FUBU. And FUBU stands for for us, by us. And I think that is a great summary of how people view power. It's, it's, it's for me, by me, right? It's me. I'm the one who, who did this. That's his attitude. We built this entire empire, and it's really by my power and my might, is I'm the one that succeeded. All of this that you see is because of me. I did it. The truth is that if you were to look at what makes people successful, there's three things that have to come together. Genetics, environment, and personal choice. And two of the three have nothing to do with you. Those were all things that were gifted to you by God. 
I would even argue that third one still heavily dependent upon God. And yet, when we become successful, we have a little bit of power, we have a little bit of money, we go, ha ha, look what I did. I did it. I made it happen. It was about me. And, and because we feel like we did it, we also feel like we're entitled to it. You remember, go back to put that verse back up there real quick. He ends with this, the whole purpose of I, I did it, I conquered, I made it happen. And then he says, and it's for my majesty. I'm the point. I did it, and so I can use it all for myself. Because it's about my needs, and it's about my wants. Let me see if I can illustrate this and how this might look in our everyday life. Let's imagine that you're short some money, significant amount of money, like $10,000. You have some unexpected bills. So scenario number one is you go to your employer and you ask them, hey, is there some extra hours that I can, or a side job? Somehow I need this $10,000. And so you go and you do that. And eventually at the end, he gives you $10,000. But then he does something really strange. He says, now, I want $1,000 of that back. Your response would be, eh? no, I work for this. This is my money. I'm going to do with it what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Okay, scenario number two, you go to that same employer, and this time you say, hey, I'm in a tough spot, and he doesn't offer you extra hours. He says, you know what, let me just loan you this money. And I, you know what, I'm going to do you one better. You only have to give me $1,000 back. Your response would be, whoa, that is so gracious. I can't believe you would do that for me. That's incredible. Now, notice that in both scenarios, it's the same employer. He gives you $10,000. All he wants is $1,000 back. But in one, you're furious because you feel like you're entitled to that money. The other one is you're just full of gratitude. See, money is a great indicator of where our heart is and what we believe we're entitled to. That's why Jesus talked about money so often. He says in the scriptures, it's an indicator of where your heart is. So if you believe money, like the rest of your resources, power, is something that you have earned and you're entitled to, you're going to have a really difficult time giving it away. Even to God, when he requests 10% of your money, you're going to go, no, no, that's my money. I earned it. You're not going to tell me what to do. But if you believe that everything you have is a gift from God, and even the ability to work and to make money is a gift from him, when all he asks for is 10%, you're going to go, that's it? Easy, no problem. You're going to be able to give freely. See, the difference is, what do you believe you're entitled to? Is it that God has given you everything that you have, or that you have done everything in your own power? Well, here's where this leads, if you believe it's all you. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from the heaven. This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. So here's what happens. He stands there. He's looking at everything that he believes he has done and that he deserves. And God goes, it's gone. Oh, you think you're so powerful? <laughs> you think this is about you? Well, guess what? It's over. And he literally loses his mind in that moment. He goes crazy. He goes from living in the palace to living on the palace grounds with the rest of the animals. He's completely insane out of his mind. He loses everything. And it kind of makes sense. By the way, side note, uh, Nietzsche, who was the modern-day advocate of the will to power, you know what happened to him the last 10 years of his life? He lost his mind. Kind of ironic. Is there something about this abuse and misuse of power that makes you less than human? And that is what this is saying, is 
When you consume power and you misuse it, it will turn you into a beast, into an animal. Think about some of the biggest atrocities in, in human history. It's done by people who had an enormous amount of power and then misused it. They did things that not even the animal kingdom would do. There's a story, Lord of the Rings. You probably read it or at least watched the movie. J.R.R. Tolkien has this, at the center of the story, this ring. And the ring is really a symbol of power. It has the ability to control the entire world. And so everybody is chasing after it. But something strange happens is when you get this power, you start to use it for your own benefit and for your own good and for your own means. And as you do that, you become more addicted to it. And then what does it turn you into? A beast. Gollum. There's something about consuming power. We were never meant to hold it for ourselves. It was always supposed to be something that flowed through us to other people and pointed eventually to people to God. See how this ends in verse 34. At the end of that time, so Nebuchadnezzar is writing this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. So here was the, here was the cure to his insanity is he had to stop looking inward at his power, his strength, and his wants, and he started to look outward and upward. And when he did that, and he understood where true power comes from. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honor and glorified him who lives forever. See, power, and we know the, the whole, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, but a little bit of power can corrupt too. It's not the amount of power, it's where you point this power. If you think it's for yourself or you think it's to glorify God. The thing that I think drives people insane when it comes to power, and we've seen it over and over again, is it, it kind of makes sense to me. Is think about people who have an enormous amount of power. When you have power like that, you're always going to be wanting more. And depending upon how the season of your life is going, where let's say things are going well, you know what it, it results in? It results in you being more power hungry, more prideful and entitled. And you end up destroying all the people around you. Or you're insecure and you think someone's always coming after to steal it. Either way, it's going to drive you insane. But people with enormous power, the only way that they can live and keep their sanity is if they go, this power isn't mine. It didn't come from me. It doesn't belong to me. It's God's. And so if he wants to take it tomorrow, that's fine. I just want to be faithful with it. And then I think we can see that in people with enormous power. I don't know if we see it in our lives. And we see it with, with our power, but I think it's true in all levels. And so here's kind of the bottom line on this one. All power begins and ends with God. All power. You didn't create anything. You didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't create power in your own life. You didn't manifest it. You didn't know. It all came from God. And guess what? It's all going to end with him one way or another. Whether you give it to him or he has to take it from you, it all ends with him. And so when power is given to you, it's not for you. Just remember, every position of power that you have, every influence, all authority, control, it's not about you. It's always about him. Finish the story, verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored. Now, check this out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. 
Remember that, that whole process that we talked about is, is power comes from God. He allows us to be stewards of it. If we steward it well and we use it to lift people up and we use it to point people to him, he in return gives us more power. Not only would you see this in Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, but we also see this in the person of Jesus. See, what, what we're getting a glimpse of, glimpse of here is the kingdom of God, what theologians call the upside-down kingdom, because all the kingdoms of the world say get power and consume it and use it for yourself and then try to get more. But the upside-down kingdom is completely different. It, it says, if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be great, you have to serve. If you want to be strong, you must admit your weakness. If you want to be powerful, you have to continue to just give it away. And Jesus is the perfect example of this, is he has all the power in the world, all the power that exists, and yet he comes down as a part of his creation as a child. He gives up his power, and then not only does he give up his power, but he ends up on a cross completely powerless. And then what happens as he gives up his power? He receives more because he becomes king over the universe. See, as God gives power, we're good stewards with it by giving it away, and then God ends up giving us more power. As long as we don't use it for ourselves. And so let me, let me end with three really uncomfortable questions. Ones that I've been wrestling with, and so I figured you should too. Here's the first question. How much power do you have? I know, we're humble, we don't have any power, we're all servants. <laughs> okay, all right, how much power do you have, really? Like, think about the relationships in which you have the most power. Maybe you're a boss, maybe you're a parent. I want you to think about where you hold significant power and what relationships those are. Second question is, what are you doing with it? So are you using it to give or are you using it to get? Because you have the power, so you're doing something with it. What are you doing with it? And then finally, how can you use your power to benefit and point them to God? You're able to do things for people that they may not be able to do for themselves. And so you, part of that is not only the resources you have, financial, but it's also the power that you have. Are you leveraging it so that you can get more or that you can give more? If you are married or you're in a rooted group or maybe you have a close friend that's here today, I dare you to ask these questions. Oh man, it's going to be a fun discussion. But I dare you. And then when we go out of here, I was trying to think, okay, um, those are deep questions, but I need something simple because I'm a simple guy. And so when I walk out of here, what do I need to be what do I need to just hold on to? And it really boils down to something pretty simple. There's actually one question that you can ask as you go in and you interact with people and you navigate different relationships. And it's a simple question, but it's really hard to actually live out. And here it is, is how can I help? What if you just went out and you don't even have to verbalize it, but your attitude is just going out into the world and all of your relationships and just going, I wonder how I can help today. Can you imagine how your relationships might change? If you're married, um, think about if you just came into your marriage with that attitude. You know what I've never heard over the years? I've had a lot of people who have difficult marriages and a lot of struggles. You know what I've never heard? They just, I, I can't stand them because all they want to do is help. I've never heard that before. It's the craziest thing. No one's coming in. They go, I, all they want to do is help themselves. I've heard that a lot. But I've never heard if they, they just serve me all the time and it's driving me crazy. Never heard that before. So what if you entered into your marriage this way? Not what can I get, but what can I give? Or maybe at work, there's some conflict. You, you, there's somebody you don't like. There's somebody who's not doing what you think they should do. What if instead of you condemning them, you walked in and, and you went, I wonder how I can help them today. I wonder if there's something I can do to help 
them do a little bit better job. Make their job a little bit easier today. If there's kids in here, especially junior hires, can you imagine if you went to your parents this week and just said, hey, mom, dad, how can I help? They would fall over. They'd be like, excuse me? Did you get suspended? What is the deal? Who are you? You know what will probably happen, to be honest, is they won't even ask you to do anything. They'll probably give you something. They'll just go, we're going to Yogurtland. That's what we're doing. You can help yourself to some Yogurtland, young man, because I'm impressed. Or parents. I feel like I do this all the time. I feel like this is all my life is about is I'm just here to help my kids. But that not, may not be exactly what they hear when I go, don't touch that. Change your attitude. Straighten up. No screen time. You're grounded. I'm helping. I'm shaping and forming you. You will be a great individual when you get up. You're just a mess right now. No. What if I went in and I just went, okay, what if, what if I instead ask, how can I help? Your room is a mess and you should clean it. How can I help? You, you, you're waiting to the last minute to do your homework? How can I help? <laughs> what if this was how we approached our relationships? Not that we ignore all the problems and all this stuff and we put our head in the sand. No, what if we just came with the attitude of how can I help? Let's pray. Lord God. If we will get ourselves and our egos and our pride out of the way long enough, um, you might be able to use us to do some really significant things in our our world. And so, Lord, um, as we leave this place and uh, our immediate reaction, no matter who we are, is probably going to be, how can I get? Instead, we want to ask, how can I give? How can I help? How can I help the people around me? How can I help, most importantly, the people in my household? Because ultimately, that is what you came and you did. And that is the question that led you throughout your life and ministry, is you're here to help. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to be your hands and your feet in this world. And we just pray that you'd use us. Today we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Thank you so much for being here this week. And go to the pumpkin patch, enjoy, and we'll see you next weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.